Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is today's Gospel, Matthew chapter 17. Listen again to these words. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. This is the word of our God. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, May 25th, 1983 was a big day in my life. On that day, my best friend and next-door neighbor Troy and I went to see what we thought at the time was the final movie in the Star Wars saga, Return of the Jedi. And excited doesn't even begin to describe us on that day. We got to the theater, Showcase Cinemas in Burton, Michigan, two hours early. Still had to wait outside in line before we could get in. When we finally got in, paid for our tickets, and sat down in those seats and heard the familiar theme music composed by John Williams, you couldn't have found two happier people anywhere. Now, why were we so excited? Well, of course, we wanted to see how the story would end, but, but mostly we just wanted to see the special effects. I mean, we were just kids, so we wanted to see strange creatures and planets and spaceships and things blowing up and lightsabers, and we weren't disappointed. It was fantastic. The special effects were simply amazing. Now, of course, today's movies leave the return of the Jedi in the dust when it comes to special effects. The age of computer graphics have brought to us things like dinosaurs and luxury liners and ancient cities and superheroes that look incredibly real. But my friends, all those special effects are just that. They're just tricks. They're just effects. They're not real. 2,000 years ago on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John were treated to some amazing sights. Now what they saw was not the work of Hollywood special effects wizards. What they saw was absolutely real. But much more importantly, what they saw had real meaning for them, and it has real meaning for us today. So let's go back those 2,000 years and join them on that holy mountain. Let's see some amazing sights. On this Transfiguration Sunday, let's get a glimpse of God's glory. A glimpse that reminds us just who Jesus is, and a glimpse that tells us exactly why he came. The events of our text took place during a time in Jesus' ministry where he was really trying to stay out of the public eye. It was a time of intense, personal, private education for his 12 disciples. You see, he was preparing them for some tough days ahead, his coming suffering and death. He was also getting them ready to be his witnesses after his resurrection and ascension. And it was during this time that Jesus took the inner circle of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, for an even more intimate, even more personal and private session where he would do some training for them. He took them up on a high mountain, probably in the middle of the night, and there he was transfigured before them. Now that's not a word that we use very often in our everyday conversations, but it's an important word for Christians. The Greek word for transfigured is the word from which we get our English word metamorphosis. It's the word we use to describe the, the drastic change that takes place when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, and it is a drastic change. But it really pales into comparison to what happened to our Savior on that mountain. Matthew describes it this way. He says, 
Jesus' face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And again, imagine how bright that would have been in the middle of the night. And as if all that wasn't amazing enough, suddenly the disciples saw two men standing there talking with Jesus. Greats from Israel's history, Moses and Elijah. How they recognized them, we're not told, but they recognized them. And those two men were standing there talking with Jesus about his mission, about his coming, suffering, and death. This was too much for Peter. He was blown away. He begins babbling about, we've got to stay here a while. Let's put up some tents. Let's hang out. And then perhaps the most amazing thing of all happened. This unearthly, dazzling cloud came all around them. And from that cloud, that glorious cloud, they heard a glorious voice, the voice of the Father himself. This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. All of this was just too much for the disciples. They folded up like cheap card tables and hit the deck in absolute terror. Why? Well, because in that moment they realized that they were in the presence of utter holiness. And they wanted nothing more than to hide from a holy God. My friends, have you ever felt like that? I don't mean feeling afraid at something unexpected that happened. I mean fear of being in the presence of holiness. It's the fear that we should feel, my friends, for you and I are not holy. We are sinners, and we are always in the presence of holiness because our holy God is always with us. And we might want to hide, but there's no place that we can hide from him. He sees all. This is what he said through Jeremiah. Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them? God knows all, which means he knows all of our sins, every last one of them. He knows those sins that we commit openly in front of everybody and so embarrass ourselves. He knows the sinful thoughts that lie deep, deep in our hearts. He knows the angry, hurtful, and even hateful words that we sometimes mutter under our breath. And he hates all of them. He hates all sin. He hates it with such a hatred that in his holiness, sin must be punished. We sinners deserve that punishment from our God, both now and forever. And my friends, if that doesn't make us fold up like cheap card tables in terror, then I don't know what will. But here's the thing. Those events that happened on the Mount of Transfiguration, which at first so scared those disciples, later on became a source of comfort and peace for them. And my friends, those same events are for us a source of comfort and peace and confidence. Because you see, all those amazing things that happened on that mountain proclaim to us exactly who Jesus of Nazareth is. He's not just some great teacher in the tradition of Gandhi or something like that. Nor is he this kind of sad character who started out really well and sadly got himself into trouble and died tragically and too soon. Nor is he simply the inventor of the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Well, my friends, the transfiguration makes clear that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is God himself. The miracle of that holy mountain proves it. You may ask yourself, so what? Where's the comfort in that? Jesus is God. Well, consider this. As true God, Jesus is the only one who could do what God demands of us. 
He's the only one who could resist every one of Satan's temptations and keep the entire law in our place as our substitute. And that he did. Gives us the credit for it. As true God, Jesus is the only one who could go to a place called Golgotha and there offer a sacrifice of blood that is of infinite value, big enough to pay for the sins of all people of all time, including yours and mine. As true God, Jesus is the only one who could keep his promise and come out of that tomb fully and bodily alive on the third day with victory in his hands, victory that he shares with us. And that resurrection, my friends, assures us that our sins are forgiven and eternal glory belongs to us in him. That's why the Father said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is the only Savior. Pay attention to him. You see, on that mountain, Jesus was not just showing off or mugging for the camera. Uh, The transfiguration is much more than just some dazzling display of special effects. No, it's a personal message that says to each and every one of us, This is your Savior. Trust in him and live. My friends, that's the message of transfiguration, but but our God wants to tell us so much more today. Listen, as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. What a strange thing to say. Let's review. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John way up on top of a mountain. He's transfigured before them. They see Moses and Elijah. They hear God himself speaking, pointing to Jesus as the Savior of the world. And as they're coming down the mountain, Jesus says, Oh, don't tell anybody until after I've risen. Again, what a strange thing to say. Why would he say that? I mean, shouldn't they have been telling everybody about this? And for that matter, wouldn't it have been better if Jesus had taken all of his disciples up on top of that mountain? And as long as we're talking about it, wouldn't it have been better if this happened right in the middle of downtown Jerusalem? Well, of course, no, because that's not the way Jesus did it. But why? I think the answer lies in the fact that At this time, so many people, in fact most people, even Jesus' disciples, had a wrong idea of who the Messiah was and what he was coming to do. They thought of the Messiah, most of them, as a warrior who was coming to rescue them from Roman oppression. They thought of the Messiah as a king, a bread king, who was going to come to keep their bellies full. Now, Jesus, of course, is a warrior, but he didn't come to fight the Romans. He came to fight sin and Satan. And Jesus is a king, but he didn't come to rule some prosperous earthly kingdom. He came to rule a kingdom that's spiritual, a kingdom that exists in the hearts of believers, a kingdom of faith. Jesus told these disciples to keep quiet about things for a while because he didn't want people coming and trying to make him a Messiah that he never came to be. He needed to stay focused on his mission. He needed to remain resolute in his desire to go to the cross of Calvary. So then we ask, why did Jesus give these three this little glimpse of glory? Well, he was preparing them. 
He was preparing them for tough days that were ahead. Not long after this, Jesus would be betrayed by one of his own disciples. He would be arrested and tried and convicted on trumped-up charges. He would be handed over to Gentiles. They would beat him to a bloody pulp and flog him and crown him with thorns and mock him and nail him to a cross. And finally, Jesus' dead body would be in a tomb. During all of that, Jesus would look anything but glorious. By giving them a glimpse of his glory now, Jesus was reminding them, one, that he didn't come to set up a glorious earthly kingdom, and two, that the real glory was going to happen at the cross, and the result of that would be heavenly glory for all who believe in him. You see, Jesus was preparing them later on to share the good news of his saving love with all people. That they did. We heard Peter's comment this morning. He said, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They preached about the glorious Lord and his salvation. And my friends, today we benefit from their eyewitness account, don't we? We weren't there 2,000 years ago to witness Jesus' transfiguration with our own eyes. But we have something just as good. We have the disciples' reliable eyewitness account recorded under the Spirit's inspiration on the pages of the Holy Scriptures. And my friends, it's a good thing that we have this Word of God because we need to be prepared for the days ahead as well. Did you know that transfiguration at least started out as a particularly Lutheran observance in the Christian church year? And do you know why this particular time in the church year was chosen to observe our, observe our Lord's transfiguration? You see, we are just days from the season of Lent. Lent is the season in which we see our Savior at his humblest as we focus on his bitter suffering and death, his holy passion. Seeing our Savior's glory right now, getting that glimpse, reminds us that He is God Himself. Catching a glimpse of our Savior's glory tells us that nobody came and took Jesus' life away from Him. He willingly laid it down of His own accord for us. Catching a glimpse of glory right now tells us, gives us a preview of the glory that is to come. That's what the future holds for you and for me and for all believers in Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate result of his life, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. Eternal, glorious life for all who believe in him. Now, of course, we're not there yet, are we? We would hardly describe this world as glorious. Sickness and suffering, temptation and trial and trouble, disappointment just about every single day, and finally, death. Our world is beset with sin and sorrow. How can we endure it? How can we get through? My friends, by going back again and again in that, to that holy mountain, by looking again and again to our transfigured Lord, by trusting in the one who gave up his crown of glory in heaven to wear a crown of thorns for us and for our salvation. 
A lot has changed since the 12-year-old me sat wide-eyed in that theater all those years ago. I'll be honest with you, I don't get as excited about Star Wars anymore. Maybe I just need to be a little more childlike about it. Maybe it's because different people, people are in charge now. But if I'm honest with you, I will tell you that I find today's Star Wars to be, well, a little disappointing. My friends, there is nothing disappointing about the transfiguration of our Lord. Today we've gotten a glimpse of our Savior's glory. Today we have been reminded again just exactly who our Savior is. Today we've received a little foretaste of heavenly glory to come. Glory that we will enjoy for all of eternity with our Savior because he lived and died and rose again for us. There's nothing disappointing about that. No, my friends, it's worth getting excited about. Thanks be to God. Amen.